First, I want to <clears throat> thank Jen and uh, Krista for their ministry of music. I was greatly pleased at how well that ministry of music went with this morning's message. And I asked them if they chose that deliberately because of where I was going to be in the text, which they said they chose that six months ago. Uh, so we saw we have a sovereign God who leads and directs in our worship of him. So I also want to praise the Lord for his uh, care of us and for his ministering to us in our worship of him. This morning I'm going to be talking about excuses. Excuses. Everybody wants to make excuses. Some excuses are simply poor excuses. In New Zealand, there was a woman who drove for 25 years without a driver's license. Her excuse when arrested and taken to court was that I only ever drove on rural roads. To apply for a driver's license, I would have had to take a highway. Some excuses are outright lies. Why haven't you done your homework? In the proverbial, the dog ate it. People think that they are clever in coming up with excuses, and they seem to get away with murder. Three boys in Mississippi came very late to school. They'd been out fishing. Their excuse for being late was that they had to change a tire on their car. Well, the teacher immediately recognized this for the hoax that it was, and so to catch them in their lie, she sent them to their respective seats, and they were told to write out the answer to a simple question. Which tire had they changed? She was amazed when the answers came back, and they were all the same. The flat one. <laughs> well, we can think that we are clever in our excuses, but this morning we're going to find out that there is no excuse on the day of judgment for failing to honor, give thanks, and recognize our accountability to the Creator God. No excuse on the day of judgment. All of mankind is without excuse to honor, give thanks, and recognize their accountability before God the Creator. The key verse for our uh, study this morning is Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that they have made, so they are without excuse. Without excuse. Uh, in fact, in Romans chapters 1, 2, and beginning of 3, the theme is that mankind is without excuse. Romans 2.1 says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. There is no excuse. Why are people without excuse for rejecting God? Well, first of all, people are without excuse for rejecting the truth concerning God because all people possess the truth concerning God to a greater or lesser degree. There is the truth of God that is known from creation, which we're going to focus on this morning, as we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And secondly, there's the truth of God that's known through conscience, which is going to be addressed in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And then there's the truth of God that some people have from his word. So everyone has the truth of uh, creation. Everyone has the truth of conscience. 
And some people have the truth that is associated with God's word. So this morning, we're going to focus on this aspect of God's wrath being revealed against those because there is no excuse. People are without excuse for rejecting the truth concerning God because all such rejection of the truth is willful and sinful. Let me say that again. Mankind is responsible for the rejection of God's truth, for all such rejection is willful and sinful. Now we need to unpack that this morning. And if you look with me at Romans 1.18, that's where we're picking up. We did the previous verses of the weeks before. And so now we're looking at the why here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Next week, I'm going to look at how the wrath of God is revealed. I'm going to save that for next week. Today, sufficient to say that it is a fact that God is angry with mankind's ungodliness and unrighteousness. Verse 18. Ungodliness is meaning in, in a godly manner, in a godless manner, living as though there is no God. Okay, so mankind is responsible when they live as though there were no God. God is angered that mankind lives in unrighteousness in verse 18. Unrighteousness is failing to live up to a, a moral code. It, it's, a, it's a sense of doing wrong. And God is angered that mankind opposes the truth. For notice verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness oppose the truth. Or, as said in the King James, they hold the truth, meaning they hold down the truth, to suppress the truth. The idea here is more than simply rejecting the truth. It is to hold it down. It's to seek to squash it. It's to work against the truth. Undermine the truth. Discredit the truth. Oppose the truth. There's where we get this aspect of sinful and willful. That there is a, an, an antagonism to the truth. As I said, all such rejection of the truth concerning the creator God is willful and sinful. Well, why is the rejection of truth willful and sinful and incurring God's wrath? Answer, because God has provided mankind with evidence concerning himself that is undeniable. Let me say that again. God has supplied evidence to mankind concerning himself that is undeniable. Therefore, man is culpable without excuse, because it is not that mankind cannot know the truth, but rather willingly oppose the truth. It isn't that they are ignorant of or unaware of, but they stand in opposition of God's truth. For notice verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. What is known about God is plain to them. This word for plain means to be clear, apparent as opposed to that which is obscure or hidden or hard to ascertain. This word clear has 
a range of meanings. It means it's recognizable. It's knowable. It's evidentiary. It is on the surface. It is something that you just can't get away from. It is plain. You don't have to be a genius to figure this out. It's plain. And it's plain because God has shown it to them in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. To show them is to reveal the truth to them. God has made it visible to them. God has made it possible to see the truth. That they can actually see the truth. What has God shown to mankind? What has God allowed mankind to see? Well, interestingly enough, in verse 19, is what can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them. So what God has shown to them is himself. God has revealed himself to mankind. Now, why that is kind of interesting here, it's a play on words. Because God himself is invisible. If you look at verse 20. For his invisible attributes. God is a spirit. And you can't see God. You can't touch God. You can't feel God. You cannot be aware of God through your sensory perceptions. You can't smell God. You can't taste God. But God, who is invisible, has made himself seen. He has shown it unto them. So how has the invisible God made himself visible? What God has made visible are his attributes. Notice verse 20, namely his eternal power and divine nature. His eternal power and his divine nature, that is his deity, his godness, as he has revealed. Well, how has he done that? Well, notice in verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Now these words, in the things that he has made. In the things that he has made. In his creation. Through his creation, he has revealed his invisible attributes. Through his creation, he's allowed us to see what we couldn't see. We can't see his power. We can't see his wisdom. We can't see his strength. But in and through his creation, we can see that there was a creator who was wise. There was a creator that was powerful. There was a creator that was distinct from the creation. So we can see from the creation a creator. Psalm 19, verses 1 and following says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The ferment showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. And night unto night shows forth knowledge. And there is no place where the voice is not heard. It's as though creation itself was speaking. As though it was shouting at mankind. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. And there is no place where that voice is not heard. There is no language in which that voice is not understood. So no matter where you are on this planet, no matter what language it is that you speak, you have the witness of creation that is declaring the power and the glory and the majesty of God. God has made himself known. This revelation of God through his creation has been true for all mankind. For notice in verse 20, it says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived now this ever since the creation of the world. So that includes all mankind throughout all ages and all history. Ever since the creation, there has been this witness of God, and that witness of God comes down to us this day. We have creation. All people who are among us, all people at all times. And the result is, in verse 20, so that they are without excuse. Okay. So it is so plain, so obvious, that there is a creator that mankind is without excuse for denying him. <clears throat> so no excuse for what? And now we're going to slow down and look at what man is inexcusable for. First, there is no excuse for failing to honor him. Verse 21, for although they knew God, okay, now this aspect of knowing God is not in a salvific sense. It's not talking about people who are born again. It's talking about all mankind as created beings. All mankind as created beings know God in some sense. All right? And virtually everyone, I mean, there are atheists, there are agnostics, but most people believe in a God, and most people have a religion. So when people knew about a creator, okay, when they knew God, when they knew that there was a creator, first, they did not honor him as God. They did not praise him as God. They did not ascribe to him the uniqueness of his deity. They did not honor him in his wisdom. They did not honor him in their, his goodness. They did not honor him by recognizing their accountability to God, all of which can be seen by the simple fact that he is the creator and we are the creature. In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor. They failed to honor me. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power. Why? For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they were created in heaven. When we gather around the throne of God, when we worship him, we are going to say, you are worthy, O God, to receive honor, for you have created all things. And for your pleasure they have been created. That's what mankind is guilty of. Failing to acknowledge that the creator is worthy of honor. 
and that there's an accountability to him that we were made for his pleasure. There is no excuse for failing to be thankful to God. Look at Romans 121. For although they knew God, they did not honor him, God, or give thanks to him. They did not appreciate what God had done in making them and what he had provided for them in his creation. They have failed to recognize the way in which they should give praise to God for all that he has done for them, for us. The psalmist put it this way. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, all that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should visit him? When I look at everything that you have made, what am I in relationship to this universe? And yet mankind seeks to put themselves in the center of this universe. It's about us rather than being about God. It's about what makes me happy. It's about what makes me content. It's about what makes me joyful. It's about my standard of living as opposed to God's. They were not thankful. And all mankind is going to be accountable on the day of judgment for failing to be thankful for a creator who provided and cared for them. Thirdly, there is no excuse for failing to understand the nature of God. The nature of God. For earlier it said, uh, for that which may be known of God. His invisible attributes. Now it comes down to verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not glorify, uh, did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but instead they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, etc. So we begin by, there is no excuse for failing to understand the nature of God. To be futile, in verse 21, they became futile in their thinking, means to be irrational. It means to be irrational. They went against common sense. They went against reason. We live in a day and age in which much of what people believe is unreasonable. It's contradictory to what they know to be true. For example, for example, biogenesis is primarily attributed to Louis Pasteur and encompasses the belief that complex living things can only come from other living things by means of reproduction. That is, life does not spontaneously arise from non-living material, which was the position held by spontaneous generation. Science long ago said that life doesn't come from that which is non-living. If you remember from high school days, uh, Louis Pasteur uh, came up with that by looking at dead meat, okay? And there, there's, uh, uh, excuse me, spontaneous generation came looking at dead meat, and all of a sudden maggots occurred, and the thought was these maggots must have come from the dead meat. They didn't understand about germs. They didn't understand about microcosmic uh, organisms, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so we came to the realization that nothing living can come from something non-living. That's a basic tenet of science. And yet, what does science say about our life? Where does life come from? Uh, a power, a force. But we know that life can't come from something that's non-living. John 1, 1 and following says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life is the light of men. In Him is life. And that very truth brings light. That very truth brings understanding. That there is no life apart from God. That without God, you can't explain life. That's the light of God. That's the revelation of who God is. Life didn't just spring up. Romans 1.22 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. If ever there is a day in which mankind boasts in its intellect and scientific achievements, it's our day. If there's ever a time in which mankind has raised its head and its fist against God and thinks that we know better than God, it's today. To believe in God is to be foolish. To believe in the scriptures is to be naive. In Romans chapter 123, it says that in their, in their, their claiming to be wise, notice what they did in verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling the mortal. So they exchanged the immortal God for that which is mortal. And then it goes on to say mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. It's saying that the immortal is that which is eternal. Immortal is that which is incorruptible. It is that which cannot perish or fade away. The immortal is eternal. God is eternal. And they exchange the worship of the eternal for the worship of that which is, immor uh, that which is mortal, that which is perishable, that which is finite, that which is limited, that which is not eternal. It says they exchanged the glory of God for the mortal. So they transposed, they flipped on its head. Rather than worshiping the eternal God, they have turned to a worship of that which is finite, that which is limited, that which is perishing, that which is corruptible. And in our text it says men and birds and animals and creeping things. And so idolatry entered this world. And people started worshiping the representation of animals and beasts and all kinds of things as a way of worshiping God but they knew that this is something that they had made, not God had made. It was irrational. They knew that they had just cut down a tree. They knew that they had just formed this substance. It was irrational. 
Well, in the United States, we're too sophisticated for that. We're not cutting down trees and making idols. And so we might look at ourselves and puff up ourselves and, and see that uh, that's no longer true of us. But it is true. For we too, we meaning America, we meaning people of great understanding, have exchanged the truth of the immortal for the truth of the mortal. Okay? That which is eternal, which is God, they have ascribed to someone or something else. Okay? I will start, you will finish. Okay? A basic tenet of science. Matter cannot be created nor destroyed, right? Who has never heard that before? Who has never heard that statement that matter cannot be created or destroyed? All right, everybody's heard that. That's a statement of eternality. It has no beginning, cannot be created. Cannot be destroyed, it has no end. So the worship of an eternal God has been transposed and given over to the worship of an eternal matter. We be- so many people believe that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. It is the answer to where everything has come from. It is self-existent. You know, people laugh and want you to explain where did God come from? How can you believe in the eternal God? Who made God? And they think they're so wise. Who made God? Well, who made matter? If matter cannot be created or destroyed, it's self-existent. How did matter be self-existent? It's truly irrational. It doesn't explain where everything else came from. My belief in God at least explains where everything else comes from. And explain, belief in the eternal matter does not explain where everything else comes from. But mankind has chosen to believe that matter has always existed. That is a willful choice. Matter has always existed that primitive matter has become the developed universe that we know today. There is no, in this thinking, there is no intelligent design behind this universe. There is no purpose behind this universe. It is random. There is no God behind it all. And if there's no God, there is no personal God. And if there is no personal God, therefore, there is no one for me to thank, there is no one for me to praise, and there is no one for me to be accountable to. And that's the very thing that God hates. There is someone to be thanked. There is someone to be honored. And there is someone to whom we are accountable. 
We may deny it in this age. We will not deny it when we stand before God. And not only will we not deny it, we won't have any excuse. We will not be able to say, God, there was no way for me to know. There was no way for me to know that you're God. I showed it to you. My invisible attributes. The issue is you didn't want to honor me. You didn't want to thank me. You didn't want to be accountable to me, so you chose not to believe. You buried your head in the sand. That's what God is angry about. It's mankind's suppressing the truth, holding it down, opposing the truth. Romans 1.25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, for a lie. Rather than to believe in the eternal God, we exchanged it for that which is perishable. One day this world as we know it is going to be destroyed. And there's going to be a new creation. A new heaven. A new earth. We can see that this earth, earth is growing old. We can see that it is deteriorating. We can see that it is perishing. We can see that it's coming to an end. We're without excuse. So the conclusion is we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. All mankind needs the gospel of Christ. For all mankind stands condemned before God. For failing to honor him. For failing to be thankful to him. For failing to recognize their accountability before God. All men can know that they have lived in a life that's displeasing to God, but only through the gospel can they know the way of salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed. It's only in the gospel that that revelation comes. But the revelation of condemnation comes first through creation. Secondly, through the conscience. We will see that in a few weeks. Next week, we'll look at the wrath of God, how that is revealed. But this morning, I say to you, I say to you, there is a God. There is a God that is to be honored and praised. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. There is a God to be thanked. We live and move by his being. He is not only the creator, but sustainer of life. You can't keep yourself alive. You can't prolong your days. You are frail. The only reason you are breathing today is by the grace of God. You are totally dependent upon him for your existence. 
thank your God and recognize you're accountable to this God. He is our maker. The rebellion of mankind is found in Romans chapter 9. Who art thou, O man, that repliest against God? Can the thing formed say to him that formed it, why have you made me this way? There's an accountability because God has made us. Are you willing to acknowledge your accountability before God? If you are, and if you've never yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I invite you to accept the forgiveness that he provides, the bearing of God's wrath that he takes upon himself for our disobedience, for our self-willedness, for our self-centeredness, for living our lives to our glory as opposed to his. In Christ, we can have forgiveness. Let's pray. Our Father, help us this day. I, I pray, O oh God, that you would strive with each and every one of us, especially if we're hiding behind the excuse that if I really could be proven that there's a God I'd believe. But since I can't touch, since I can't feel, since I can't sense God, I won't believe. Lord, I pray that you would remove the scales from people's eyes that they might see. See an invisible God through what he has made. And come to the grips with the reality that all of creation just shouts at us that someone powerful had to make this. Someone incredibly wise had to make this. Somebody who was incredibly caring had to make this. It just didn't happen by chance. It just didn't always exist. Oh Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning who has never trusted in Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would bring to bear on their hearts and minds that creation itself bears witness that we are to honor you. We're to be thankful to you. And there's an accountability that we have before you. For you have made us for a reason. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.